Let it sit. I've heard church, church folks say, why y'all sing so long? Because you're singing, but we're worshiping. And sometimes you can't just rush through it, if you really mean it. So we just want to let that sit in our spirit for a moment. You got somewhere to go? I understand. But God makes all things new. He's a new kind of God. New kind of God. And we just thank Lord. Follow you forward. God don't even tell you where he's going and we're going to follow him. Just going to follow you. But I know it's forward. I know what's behind me. I know who's behind me. I know what's behind me. But I shall not go back to that. Oh no. He delivered me out of that. He brought me out of the pit. I shall not go back. And we thank God. We thank God. We thank God. Any worshipers in the house? Any worshipers in the house? We just come and thank God. To make this declaration forward. 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 It's forward. your Bibles. Go to Genesis 50. Thank you, voices of praise, for being worshipers, not just singers. Worshipers, not entertainers. Worshipers, not on contracted salary. Worshipers, who came to accompany us in worshiping a true and living God. In Genesis 50, if you're there, say amen. Beginning at verse 15, reading from the New American Standard Version. And the word of God says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph should bear a grudge against us and pay us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died saying, thus you should say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you the transgressions of your brothers and their sin. But they, they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? And as for you, you meant it as evil against me. But God meant it for good. Yes, sir. In order to bring about this present result 
to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph said, do not be afraid. I want to preach this morning, part three of this series, and I want to tag it with the title, I'm Letting It Go. I'm Letting It Go. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, good morning, but I'm letting it go. Find another neighbor. Neighbor, good morning, but I'm letting it go. Now let's give God some praise and anticipation of what God's getting ready to do up in here. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, it is forward. Thank you for this consecrated hour. Your presence makes the difference. For the people that came with a made-up mind to worship, to be the body of Christ. Thank you, Lord. Right now, God, our hearts are prepared that you want to say something. Some we're going to like and some we're going to dislike. Some we're going to want to run to the car and some we're going to want to run around this room. But be that as it may, you are God all by yourself. So God, make us more like Jesus. There's heaviness in some hearts and some heaviness in some minds. We come today, Lord, with all that we have. And I'm praying and asking God as always that you would anoint me at this strategic hour that I may preach your word with power. Have your way. Do what you want to do. However you want to do it. In the blessed name of Jesus Christ, I do pray. Amen. Amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I'm letting it go. We started this series a couple of weeks ago about entitled Get Healthy. This health is, is not about your physical dexterity. It's not about your BMI index. It's not about the rotation on the scale when you step on it. This is about our inside. How do we unhitch ourselves from unhealthy relationship habits that have been like sepsis in our spirits for a long time? Been killing us. We've been walking our way meticulously through the idea of how do we do it? We talked about the importance of the choices up to you. God wants us to be healthy in our relationships. He wants you to be healthy. We talked about the importance of knowing who we are, our identity. But today I want to talk about a cancer that eats away at our relationships. And it is the idea of letting go. This text, as I was studying it, I was reminded of what happened back in October 2019 in a Dallas, Texas courtroom that was jam-packed and emotions were high. As we sat there, and that former Dallas police officer, Amber Geiger, was waiting for the final verdict, the final word. She got the verdict, waiting for the final word from the judge. Because she had senselessly murdered a 26-year-old boy, Botham Jean. 
while he was sitting in his own apartment. Why did she shoot him? She said because she made a mistake. She thought that he was an, an intruder in her apartment, although her apartment was even on that floor. But none of that mattered on that day because they were gathered there for the sentences to hear what the judge had to say. How many years? They came to hear the judge speak. But on that day, not only did the judge speak, but Botham Jean's 18-year-old brother, Brent, spoke. And did he speak? What did he say? He looked that murderous cop in the eye. The same cop who had gunned down his black, unarmed, law-abiding, God-loving brother and told her to her face, I forgive you. I'm letting it go. And there was outrage inside the courtroom, outside the courtroom. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. We finally got one this time. Oh, no. You don't just forgive folks. You don't just let folks go who hurt you that deeply. You don't just let them go. Is that true, friendship? Is that true? If you look at the folks in your circle, your family, your friends, the circles you traffic in, is that how you operate? Is that the modus operandi in your family? Do you guys let people go? Or do you just lay low? You know what lay low it is. Lay low and slash the tires. Lay low and slash their employment. Lay low and slash their appearance. Lay low and slash their reputation. Lay low and slash their social media influence. Any lay low folks in the house, we're in the house of God. We got any folks who just lay low? Just, I'm, just, I'm just laying low, waiting for an opportune time. I'm asking that question. Because if you and me and all of us in the house and in your house are ever going to be healthy, really be whole have some healthy relationships, then we must be a people that understand the importance of dumping the deep hurt out of the long-term duffel bag of our past. You got to dump the duffel bag. You got some deep, deep hurt from the past that's in your duffel bag. And I'm not by myself. So do you. It's been in the duffel bag for a long, long time. And it's been there. And that's why you operate the way you operate. Because there's something in your duffel bag that's been hurting you for a long, long, long time. You know what I'm talking about? Deep, deep hurt. Like the college sweetheart who became sweet on somebody else. Deep, deep hurt. Like the absent father who could travel everywhere but home. Deep, deep hurt. Like, like, the last marriage that ended up being like the first marriage. Deep, deep hurt. Like the mother who can say something good about everybody but you. 
deep, deep hurt. Deep, deep hurt. Like your successful classmates who are doing well, living high on the hall, and they ask you, what's wrong with you? Deep hurt. Been there for a long time. Deep. Yet today, by the grace of God, for the glory of God, today your dumping day. Today is your dumping day. Today is your day in which you ought to know you ought to shake them up, shake them up, shake them up, and dump it. Because you got to be able to let them go. This text is about a man who did that. His name is Joseph, who let his brothers go. And yet this text, that what I love about it, it is a post-funeral text. We come to this text. His beloved father, Jacob, also known as Israel, has passed, lived to be 147 years of age, and now he has died. And oh, what a homegoing service he had. In Genesis 50, verses 1 through 10, the Bible says that, that even the Egyptians mourned 70 days for Jacob. And when he finally got back to the land of Canaan, his own people mourned seven more days. He had some kind of homegoing service. He was a big man with a big service. And all of the nation grieved over the loss of Israel. But when we come to this text, the funeral is over. When we come to this text, the repast is over. When we come to this text, the limousine, the hearse, has gone back to the funeral home. When we come to this text, then guess what? All the fried chicken and all the potato salad and all the green beans and all the pound cake has been wrapped up in aluminum foil and taken to the house. Because the funeral is over. But you know and I know that just because the funeral is over, it doesn't mean that the family feuding and foolishness is over. Say amen. Because there's some stuff that don't get left at the cemetery. Say, preach, pastor. There's some foolish stuff that happens when family members die that you can't bury in Pearland. You can't bury it at the VA. You can't bury it. And what you can't bury comes back home to bite you. So when we come to this text, the funeral's over. And now Joseph's brothers in verse 15, they are filled with anxiety. They are a nervous wreck. Because the text says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, that don't mean they wasn't at the funeral. It means now they must deal with the implications of the father being dead. That now he's gone. Their covering is gone. And so now here they are, and they start wondering, uh, what if Joseph began to download all the dirt and doggy stuff we did that was distasteful in his life? What if Joseph has a flashback? What if Joseph was just cool as a cucumber and calm at the funeral, but now that dad is in the ground and he decides, 
Hey, I want to holler at y'all. Because all they did to him 20 years earlier. Oh, because Joseph ain't just their brother anymore. Joseph is the very prince of Egypt. And he had power. He could snap his finger and somebody would snap their necks. Be careful when you get power. Be careful how you use it. When God ingratiates you with power, be careful how you use the power. So what would they do? They start playing in verse 16, the daddy card. Because they said in verse 16, they sent a message saying, your father, not our father, your father. Because they knew that Joseph was the favorite child born to the favorite wife, Rachel. Your daddy said this, and there's no proof whatsoever that, that Jacob ever said this. There's no proof. It's their own timid, tempestuous, like a bunch of three-year-olds. Daddy said, now you remember daddy said, daddy said, please forgive, please forgive. Be nice, be nice. Because they know every dog has his day. And, and they hear barking outside. <laughs> And here they are. Daddy said, Daddy said, Daddy said. And Joseph wept. He wept because back in chapter 45, he'd already told them, I forgive you. He'd already let them know, you're off the hook. That was 20 years ago. You're off the hook. But what he said in chapter 45 has not resonated in chapter 50 with them. They still are unsure. So what they say come and they do, and they decide, you know what, they we're going to fall down. We're going to prostrate ourselves before Joseph. And Joseph got tired of all this bowing and boo-hooing. And then in verse, verse 19, he asked this question, for am I in God's place? Now, this is interesting because Joseph is the prince of Egypt. He's second only to Pharaoh. And I imagine his brother probably was saying, well, kind of. Kind of. The Egyptians would have said, yeah, kind of. Whatever you say, go. Even Pharaoh told Joseph, Joseph, whatever you say, go, except if I said no. Anything you want, Joseph, it's yours. And Joseph said, I'm in God's place. Joseph was saying, I'm not God. And I refuse to let my pride force me to behave like I am. He's saying, I'm not your judge, jury, nor executioner. Amen. This is not my job. It's not my job description. It's not my time. It's not my pay grade. He says, no, no. I know I got power. I know I've got authority. But no, I won't be that. What does all that mean, preacher man? It means very simple to all of us in the house today. You got to talk yourself out of playing God. You got to talk yourself out of playing God. Because when you get hurt, you get offended, you get wounded, you start playing God. You got to talk yourself out of playing God. Oh my goodness. Talk, your, talk to yourself. Tell yourself. Lay hands on yourself. 
that I'm not God. Political historians say that Abraham Lincoln had a mother to come to him one day pleading on behalf of her son. A son who was accused of treason. She came to President Abraham Lincoln and saying, please, please, please do not execute my son. Please give him another chance. This is a misunderstanding. He was not the one. Please, please, please. Finally, the president said, okay, I'll give him another chance. And, but, but, but before he went on about his business, he told the mother, come in and holler at you. He didn't say, let me holler at you, but he said, come in and say something to you. He says, although I'm going to let him go, I kind of wish I could teach him a lesson by simply hanging him a little bit. And I, I read that story. I said, you know, that ain't just true about Abraham. It ain't just true about Lincoln. It's true about us as the people of God. We too want to teach some people some lessons. We got some sons and daughters. We want to teach a lesson. We got some employers and employees. We want to teach a lesson. We got some nasty neighbors, Reverend Eddie. We want to teach a lesson. We got some folks, some Democrats and some Republicans. We want to teach a lesson. We got some spouses, ex-spouses, and current spouses, and we want to teach a lesson. And all we want to do is hang them a little bit. Any little bit folks in the house, I just want to hang them. I just want 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Should I take 10 seconds? I just want to hang them a little bit to make them recognize who they fooling with. Have a witness up in the air. We want a bucket of blood. Who are you fooling with? May do that with your other old girlfriends and fiance, but not me. Maybe the first wife or the second wife, but I won't be the third. Not me. We want a bucket of blood. We want some tears. We want some groveling. We want some boot kissing. Just hang them a little bit. We play, but the problem is, you're not God. I'm not God. We're not God. And the Bible says, in Proverbs 20, 22, don't go back and take revenge. Don't say I'm going to repay evil. The Bible says, Romans 12, 17 19, Vengeance's mind said the Lord, I will repay it is written. It's mine. I will repay. So you know what that means? That whenever we start playing God with people, whenever we start cutting people off, cutting people out, cutting people down, we're really saying, God, I'm really smarter than you. I'm really stronger than you. I'm more skilled than you. Your acting like God is an act of rebellion. When you raise your rod, it's a rod of rebellion. It is irreverence in the sight of God. It's your way of saying, God, I know more than you. I know better than you. I know how to get them. And God is saying, that's not right because that's rooted in your glory, not God's glory. Because here's what we miss. We think that just because we didn't get them, that they won't be gotten. 
No. When the Lord says, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, God is simply saying, I'm going to get them. But I'm going to get them my way, not your way. You are erroneous in thinking that somehow that God won't get them. Because God sure knows how to get them. And that's another sermon for another day, but God knows how to get them. Anybody heard of Pharaoh? Have you got an email from him lately? No, because what? In, in Exodus 14, God got him. Anybody remember Jezebel? Got the preacher on the run, got the prophet on the run. But God said, I'm going to get her. And in 2 Kings, she went to the dogs. Anybody remember Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, stole God's money. God said, I'm going to get them, drag them both out, have a double funeral, but I'm going to get them. You got to stop demeaning yourself, degrading yourself, humiliating yourself, trying to get folks back. You got to believe that what goes around comes around. You shall reap what you sow. You have a witness up in here. Somebody needs to stand down today. Stand down. That plot, ploy, plan. Stand down. Because you're not God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Get out of my way. How you with your sinful self, with your hard-hearted self, with your lukewarm self, how are you going to be the standard of judgment? How in the world can you be the standard of execution with you? I just dealt with you yesterday. Now, how today you're going to be the bearer of right? How, 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 how? You lost your mind. You forgot about the Bible. You forgot to look in the mirror and realize that we're all a sin and falling short of the glory of God. God says, I'm the only one that had not sinned. Therefore, I get to deal with sin. Oh, write that down, write that down, write that down. Oh, getting folks back. So what does he do? He says, you know, let me, let me cut to the chase on this thing, he says. In verse 20. Now this is important, catch this. He says, you meant for evil, God meant it for good. One of the most familiar passages in the whole book of Genesis. But watch this, though. He does call it evil. He did not deny the sin. He did not excuse the sin. He did not act as if it didn't happen nor hurt. Because you believe, erroneously, that if you really forgive someone, you won't confront them. Part of love is confrontation. He's confronting his brothers. What you did was evil. And you must be able to call it what it is. I can't deny it. I can't excuse it. I can't alibi. I won't carry it in the very duffel bag of my heart any longer and smile at you and ginger flex with you and go out to eat with you and drink coffee at Starbucks with you when I know in my heart I'm mad at you. We got to stop being Christian chameleons. We're chameleons. We fake the funk in the fellowship. He said, no, you was evil. But watch the text. Stay in the text. Because there's two mints in the text. You meant, God meant, two mints. Now, the Hebrew word here, hasav, hasav, 
is an interesting word because it really means to plan or to weave. So what it's saying is this. <laughs> I shout by myself. I'm real studying this. He was saying, listen, brothers, you were planning and God was planning. You were up to something and God was up to something. You were strategizing. Guess what? God was strategizing. You were trying to harm me. Hey, but God was helping me. And God's mint was greater than your mint. God's mint superseded your mint. There were two mints at war, but God won. What does all that mean? Oh, God trying to say, you got to trust that your pain is not in vain. You got to trust your pain is not in vain. Oh, my goodness. Let's just go for a minute. Oh, my goodness. A helicopter pa- uh, uh, pilot that I was reading about on yesterday told a story about how all of his life. He grew up and he loved rainbows. But like you and I, he only saw the rainbow from afar, only saw part of it. You know, the ark is all he ever saw. But as a pilot, said one day driving his helicopter, he got pulled into a rainbow. Circumstance beyond his control, he got pulled into the rainbow. And when he got pulled into the rainbow, guess what happens to y'all? He gets to see the rainbow in its totality, in its fullness. He's in the middle of it. He gets to see all his honor and all his glory. He gets to see how great and big it is. Because why? Because once he's inside the rainbow, he got to see the big picture. He no longer got to see part of it. He got to see all of it, all of the rainbow. He was pulled in. And when he drove in and pulled in and flew in, he got to see in all of it for all of his glory. He got to see the big picture. What am I saying? That ain't just true about a pilot. It's true about us as people, the most high God, that God allows circumstances happen in our lives, pain in our lives, problems in our lives, persecution in our lives, to pull us into the rainbow of his will that we may be able to see the big picture. There's a bigger picture at work that's bigger than you and bigger than me and bigger than us, but God wants you to see the totality of the big picture, and God is saying there's a bigger picture at work. That's what Joseph is saying, that what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. There's a bigger picture at work than simply me and you. God has a greater agenda than simply this. And I thank God for the very bigger picture that's at work. And God is saying that not only, not only was sin at work, but also sovereignty was at work. And God's sovereignty was at work. And now I see the big picture. You know what he's saying. He's saying, guess what, y'all? The very thing that you tried to use to pull me down, God used it to pull me up because sovereignty was at work. The very thing you tried to use to erase me, God used it to elevate me because sovereignty was at work. The very thing you used to try to wipe me out, God used it as a windfall of blessing. The very thing which you tried to really shut me down, God used it to set me up 
to become more like Christ, to follow Christ, a greater forgiver in Christ. What you thought took me down was the elevator to take me up because sovereignty is at work. He said, now I see, now I see. I didn't see it, but now I see what God is doing. And you ought to walk back on the back porch of your life sometime and stroll back down memory lane and realize that God has put the dots together. God put a plan together. God has weaved something together. And now Joseph, 20 years later, oh my goodness, 20 years later, Joseph's really saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, because he realized, I thank you for my pit. I thank you for my prison. I thank you for Potiphar's wife. I thank you for the cupbearer that forgot me in prison. I thank you for going to Pharaoh. I thank you for my lean years and my fat years. And I thank you for leaving me in Egypt for 20 long years. He said, at the time, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. It hurt me. It pained me. But now I realize there was a purpose for my pain. And now I give God glory. I give God honor because God was working it out for my good. Do I have a witness up in hell that just feel like giving God a thanks, giving God a praise? Because the God who we serve, he knows how to turn it around. God turned it around. Y'all turned me down, but God turned it around. Give our triune God a turnaround praise. When you look at your life and look back over the back porch, where you were, what you were doing, what you were in, they counted you out and counted you down. And yet, God used the very pain, the very problem, the very persecution to lift you up. You are who you are by the grace of God. Give God praise. Give God glory. I'm shouting right now. Because Joseph says, you know what? It's been 20 long years, but I'm better now than I was before. Anybody better now than it was before? You're not perfect. You still got sorrow. You still got problems. But yet I'm better. Anybody better? Give God a better praise. Let's take 10 seconds and give God a better praise. I'm better. I'm better. I'm better. I'm stronger. I'm wiser. I'm smarter. I'm humbler because God has made it better. Because the God that we serve, the God that we serve knows how to take bad and turn it into good. Hey, I got any Bible readers in the house? Any Bible remembers in the house? God don't take bad and turn it into good. Oh, come here, come here, come here, come here. It was bad that Moses murdered a man. And yet God turned it for good and became the liberator out of Egypt. Bad that Naomi blamed God for her misfortune. Talking about call me Mara. But it was good when God brought forth Obed, the grandbaby. Hey! It was bad, bad, bad. When you find Martha, goes and say, Jesus, my brother died because of you. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And yet, and yet, show me where you laid him. Lazarus, come forth. God knows how to take bad and turn it into good. Hey, it was bad the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1. Locked in a Philippian jail, but Paul says, guess what? It is now called the greater 
expression of the gospel. The gospel's going forth greater than ever before. My being locked up did not lock up the gospel. Bad. And wasn't it bad? Wasn't it bad on Friday? Wasn't it bad on Friday? Wasn't it bad on Friday? Wasn't it bad on Thursday? When they whipped him, marched him down to Villa de la Rosa. Wasn't it bad? Put a crown of thorn on his head. Wasn't it bad when pierced him in the side? Wasn't it bad when Judah sold him out? Wasn't it bad when all the disciples ran and fled? Wasn't it bad when there was nobody there but his mama and the women at the foot of the cross? Wasn't it bad when they stripped our Savior naked? Wasn't it bad when they humiliated Jesus come down and save yourself and me too? Wasn't it bad when two thieves were mocking him on both sides? Wasn't it bad? He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was bad. But hey, 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 the Bible says early Sunday morning, the bad got flipped into good because he got up with all power in heaven and on earth. This God that we serve knows how to flip it. Can we give God a flippant praise? Tell somebody, I'm driving today because God flipped it. I'm healthy today because God flipped it. I got my right mind today because God flipped it. I'm in my word again because God flipped it. The God that we serve, he knows how to flip it. Give God a flippant praise. And he said to bring about this present result that is bigger than us to preserve lives. Because God promised Abraham in Genesis 12 and 3 through you all nations will be blessed. So they couldn't die. He couldn't wipe out the brothers. He needed the brothers. He needed to release the brothers. And also, guess what? In Exodus chapter 1, the Bible says there's a new Pharaoh who don't know Joseph. But that's all right. Why? Because in the midst of them being in prison, in the midst of making bricks without straw, in the midst of the mess, God was multiplying them. And what started as 70 folks in Egypt now is millions and millions and millions. And they kicked down the front door and marched out the front, the front gate of Egypt with all the Egyptians bling bling. Because God has a way of bringing Magnificent things out of messes. So look what he did. And I'm out of here. You gotta let it go. You gotta let him go. You gotta talk yourself out of playing God. You gotta let him go. And be willing to understand that your pain has a purpose. Your pain is not in vain. And then he says, guess what? I'm gonna provide for you and your little ones. And the text says, he comforted them. Which means he went up there and hugged them, embraced them. The same devilish brothers who were jealous and envious put him in a pit and lied to their dad about where they put him. The same devilish brothers, he's now comforting them and their children. He's now no longer antagonistic toward his brothers. They're afraid of him. But Jesus said, you know what? You ain't got to be afraid of me. Because God put me here. God protected me here. God put me here for you. 
I'm just doing my ministry. I'm just doing my job. God has blessed me to be a blessing. And so what he did is gave grace. He received grace and he gave grace. I'm trying to tell somebody today that in the midst of your high-mindedness, that if you have received grace, you ought to release grace. You got to turn grace loose. You got to turn grace loose. You've been holding on to your grace. You got to turn that grace loose. You got to give that grace to somebody because there's somebody who needs your comfort, who needs your care. Who needs your insight? Who needs your wisdom? Who needs you right here and right now? And you got to turn loose to grace. If you receive the grace of God, you must give out the grace of God. He said, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to watch over you. And I will not leave you. Because why? Because I've turned it loose. I don't see you and think about it. I don't see you and try to get you back. I don't see you and hide my hand. I've what? I've released you. And because I've released you and I've let it go, I have forgiven you that it's all well it's all right I love you and I'll never leave you and today you got to turn loose your grace some he was so scared but what if I get hurt you will get hurt what if they misuse it they will misuse it they will but it ain't about you it's about the glory of God the God that we serve is a God of grace. And God used us as ambassadors of his grace. Well, what happened in the courtroom in Dallas? I'll tell you what happened. They gave the woman 10 years. But prior to giving her 10 years, the brother, Brant, asked the judge for one permission. Can I hug her? What? Hug her? She murdered your brother. What? Hug her. Let me hug her. And he hugged her. He hugged her. Whispering to her ear, we don't know what he said, but he hugged her. And folks were outraged. And when all the proceeding was over, they asked the question, why did you do that? Why? As his parents, what kind of child y'all raising? They said this, we're Christians. And this is what God did for us in Christ. And because he did it for us, we must do it for her. I'm just going to ask anybody today before I go to my seat, go to my car and go home, if there, are there any Christians in the house? Any Christian in the house, any God's people in the house, any saved folks in the house, any saved men, women, boy, or girl in the house. If you are a Christian, you must do it because God did it for us. And if he did it for us, we must, we must, we must do it for them. We must say because God so loved the world, he gave and God forgave me. And because God forgave me, I must. It's an imperative that I also forgive you. Do we have any Christian in the house that can give God praise and declare today, I'm letting them go. I'm letting them go. Do we have five over here? I'm letting them go. 10 over here, I'm letting them go. 15 over here, 20 over here, I'm letting it go. Whatever he did, whatever she did, whatever they did, I'm letting it go for the glory of God. Ain't he all right? Give God praise, give God glory. Hallelujah to the Lamb. What a mighty God we serve. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name.